0: sanctified us by His commandments, and has commanded us to be a light to the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen.
1: Amen. And now the kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Eloheinu Melech Borei Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. And now the blessing over the bread. Chamotzi lechem haaretz We give thanks to God for bread Our voices rise in song together As our joyful prayer is said <laughs> Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, king of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth.
0: Amen, Amen. All of that
1: <laughs> All right. Now husbands, if you will bless your wives, Dear Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, for the wonderful wife that you've given me. And Father, we thank you and we pour out a blessing upon all the wives on this Sabbath day. I pray that you bless her, strengthen her, and encourage her as she rises in the night to see about the ways of the household. And I pray that you strengthen her as she teaches and educates our children. Father, I pray that you pour out your very best blessing upon her and that you would encourage her in everything that she does. Let her know how worthy of praise and honor that she is. And, Father, I confess with all of my heart that I love her, and I thank you, Lord, for her. We also bless all of the widows and orphans, those without a father or a husband at this time as well. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 All right, now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. 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 Let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen.
2: Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom. Please join us for the Baruch, the call to worship. Baruch et Aronai Hamvorach. Baruch Aronai Hamvorach Leolam Vaed. Blessed the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha Adonai.
3: Nedarbakodesh. No O o is none else You are awesome in praise doing wonders O Lord Who is like
2: You O Lord Amen And now the blessing of Messiah Baruchata ta'arani Eloheinu melech ha'olam Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Vishamru Vishamru vene Yisrael et Hashabat. La asot et Hashabat la doratam berit olam. Bene oveyan, bene Yisrael, otile leolam, Kesheshet yamin asa aronai et HaShmayim va et Harletz Uveyom hashvi ishvat. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema. If you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Yisrael,
3: Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kevod Melchuto Leolam Vaeh. Yeshua
2: HaMashiach Hu Adonai Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. way ve'ahavta, ve'ahavta et Aronai elohecha, ve'chol levavcha, u'vchol navshecha, u'vchol meyodecha. V'hayu, Ha devarim ha alecha anochi mitzavcha hayom ala vavcha ve shinantam levanacha ve debartam ve shivtacha be beitcha u leot ayadecha ve hayul totafot benanecha uktaftam amezozot betcha u vishorecha altogether and you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house, and upon your gates. Amen.
4: Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah here at Lionel Land Ministries. Welcome to our Arab Shabbat broadcast. And this uh, ha, this uh, Sabbath, we are now at the point of in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Uh, our Haftorah portion is called Haftorah Shabbat Shuvah, the Sabbath of Repentance, and we are in the days of awe. Uh, from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the 10 days of awe, and they are days of repentance. And that's what our main teaching is on for this Sabbath, both from the Torah portion as well as the Haftorah portion. In the Torah portion, we are in Deuteronomy chapter 31. It's essentially uh, the entire chapter. It's not that many verses, but it's going to deal with a very specific subject of how Moses is concluding the teaching of the Torah. Last week, I shared with you that Moses expanded the audience of who he is teaching, not only to those that are there with him that had come out of Egypt, but also to the generation at the end that would see all the things that Israel had done scattered in the nations and God's great promise to regather us again. And so This message of repentance is not only for those that were back in the days of Moses, but it's also for us as well. Uh, Turn with me. Let me just read a little bit from Deuteronomy 31 as we get to explain what the is all about. So Moses went and spoke these words to all of Israel and he said, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to come and go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them, just as he did to Sihon and Og, the king of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will deliver them up before you even shall you do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or trouble from them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. This last verse, I think everybody should mark this in their Bibles. And this verse should be ready on your mind. When, as the final generation, when it comes down to, we're confronted with, we know the great tribulation has begun. We've just witnessed um, the altar being shut down. When we see the Passover coming shortly, the Passover in which that we're going to eat and we're going to leave, that the Exodus begins at a Passover that we're going to begin to leave, and we're going to suddenly realize in those. Moments and in those days, my goodness, we have come to the end of the age. This is awesome. It is fearsome. And this is the final conflict between God and his enemies. The Antichrist soon is very shortly to come to power. Um, And dramatic things are getting ready to take place the great judgments of God upon the earth and so forth. This place, this earth, as it presently exists, is going to be uninhabitable. For you and I, we have to get out of the cities. we got to get away from the other people. It's, it's like what it says in Revelation, you know, get out of Babylon. Get out of, get my people out of there. And so all of that, let me use the word excitement, anticipation. And in the cases of fear, for a lot of people, This is the same message that Moses is giving to that generation, getting ready to cross the Jordan. He's saying to us at the end of the age, getting ready to go through the great trib and go to the promised land. Let me repeat the words to you again. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Um, when people are weak in their faith, fear just debilitates them. It's just, uh, it, it, they get to the point where they can't move and they have no courage, uh, to, to deal with it. Courage is what you do to get past your fear. But if you can't get past your fear, you're not courageous. In fact, there's another term for you. you're a coward and and uh, there's a lot of soldiers that it comes down to in dealing with the fear in the battle, the one thing that stands out the most with them is they don't want to be a coward, so that's where they get the courage to do what they got to do sometimes. Now, we'd love to think that no no, you were you were full filled with courage. And, and you could do it because of real positive things and real positive reasons. And those men in the times past, and many of them have been um, meritoriously recognized, are those who, because of courage, did this to save another. They did this to save their buddies in battle. We, we honor that kind of courage. We recognize that kind of courage. Those were the positive reasons that his courage was more powerful than his fear uh, for him to go and accomplish. The fact of the matter is, I'm a minister. The fact of the matter is, when I go to minister to you, the brethren, I can't make any spiritual decisions for you. I can't make you believe or trust the Lord. I I can teach a few things about what the Lord has said. I can try to explain some of the faith to you. But as far as what's going to change you, inside of you, there's only one thing I'm able to do, and that is to, are you ready for this? To encourage you. Is to try to put some courage into you so that it will affect your will. What your will wants to do is where your emotions will follow, your soul will follow, and your body will follow. It's whether or not you have the will to do it. Now, soldiers are trained that their will is to be yielded to their leaders. When the sergeant says, get up and go take the hill, we're not having a debate here about, well, we're going to follow my will, we're going to do what the sergeant said. That that training has already been made where we're going to do what the sergeant's will is. It's not my will, his will. Okay. Well, the same thing is true about our will with regard to God. It's not supposed to be my will. It's supposed to be God's will I do. And part of the training that we do by encouraging, we're teaching you how to follow God's will. And one of the most profound ways we do that is to teach you and show you God's commandments. Now, if you yield your will and you follow God's will, you obey his commandments. You follow his orders. That is, you look to his will to be the decider of you. And when you follow his will, your emotions follow along, your soul follows along and your body follows along. It all, you know you're, you're a unit. you know all of that is fit together. And the, the key element that determines which way you're going to go is your will. And one of the things spiritually that we try to train people is to stop being self-willed, Stop following your will and start following God's will. And to do that, I try to encourage you. I try to put courage into you so that you'll follow his will despite what you might see that is fearful. Now, we're going to come to the end of the age. And there's going to be what appears to be many fearful days in front of us. The Lord says, don't be afraid of that. Trust me, I'm with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. One of the things that a soldier learns about his sergeant, that guy ain't leaving. That sergeant's going to be there. And he's going to make sure you're there too. And if you're not there, when he tells you to be there, he's going to come looking for you. Because he's going to be there. And that's the, the person that's committed let me tell you uh, the keys. This is from a leadership teaching standpoint. How do you get people committed? Let's say that I want to teach you guys how to be committed to God. How, how am I, what am I going to do to teach you how to be committed? Well, you're going to have to be around me. You're going to have to see me. You're going to have to hear what I say and what I do, and you're going to have to find out that I'm committed to begin with. I'm going to encourage you, and I'm going to show you my commitment. You're going to hear my words, see my deeds. And the only way you can get people to get committed is they've got to see someone who's committed with them, that they join with. God is saying here when he says, I will not fail you nor forsake you, He's saying, not only have I told you to follow my will, I'm committed to you. I'm committed. I will not fail you. I will not leave you. I will be here. And that's the, same, um, that's the same kind of commitment that you see within a military battle where the leader stays there. You know, in the Navy, why the captain has to go down with the ship. He is committed to the ship. And uh, all the crew knows it. They all know he's committed. And that's the reason why they commit to be the crew and follow his orders and so forth. God is committed to us. And that's what we're supposed to follow. Now, let me add just one more thing to this, because it goes all the way back to when God first called Moses. If you'll recount, Moses has this burning bush experience. Uh, he goes in to see this bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed. See what this wondrous thing is. He gets in there, and God says to him, uh, "Put off your shoes, Moses. The ground you're on is holy." And now he's suddenly in a conversation with the living God. And in the course of that conversation, why Moses asks God, who, "Who are you? What, what is your name?" You know, and and so because God begins to tell him, I'm going to send you back to Egypt to bring the children of Israel out, and they're going to come worship me here at this mountain. And he he says, well, I'm going to go back, and who shall I say has sent me? You know, what's your name? And God gives this very interesting answer. He says, I am that I am. You shall say that I am has sent you. And then he goes on further to say he introduces his name Yodhe Vavhe, and uh, and and he uh, pronounces himself, and he says, "Okay, I want you to go back and 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 bring him." But this first answer, "You shall say that I am, that I am, I am," has sent you. What in the world is that? mean, we, we we refer to him as the I Am God, but that we don't use that as his name. What so? What's that mean? Well in leadership teaching one of the things that you learn about commitment is the following let's say that i am committed to a particular job a particular company um, and uh, let me use the example of line and ministries i started line and ministries um And let's say that you haven't met me before, and um, you come up to me and you say, okay, um, excuse me, who are you? And you're interested in things about a Lion and Lamb Ministries, and I might say something to you like this, I am Lion and Lamb Ministries. You're here interested in it? I am Lion and Lamb Ministries. I'm the guy that founded it. I'm the director. I'm the guy that does the teaching here. I do the work here. I am Lion and Lamb Ministries. And the shortened version of it is I am. And how you answer the question I am reveals who you're committed to and what you're committed to. In fact, there's a little psychological test that I learned way back a long time ago. And you take a person when you first meet them, get a piece of paper and a pen And you say, I want you to complete the following sentence for me. Write it out. I want you to complete it. And you say, I am, and have that person finish the sentence. Then you repeat the question again. I am, write something else down. Well, a third time, I am, and write something down. When you get done, that person has just told you what are their three top priorities in their life. The three top priorities in their life. If they rattled off that their name was a certain name, they're committed to their individuality. If they mention, oh, I'm a believer, that's a very important part of their life. If they say they're a husband or a father, that's a very important part of their life. Those are the things they're committed to. And so if you want to train people up to be committed, you yourself have to be committed first. God has been doing that with us. Every time he has an opportunity, he states to us, he's committed. God is committed to be the God of the universe. He's committed to being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's committed to the covenant. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am committed to you. That's supposed to be the basis that it milks us into commitment to him. Because if we can get committed to him, then we're going to follow his will. And if we follow his will, we will have the courage to overcome our fears. Thus, as a teacher, what I do is I teach and encourage you to try to build your will to follow the will of God. And by the way, we're getting ready to find out very seriously how much courage each one of us have. We're going to find out who talk a great story and who do it. We're going to find out who really has the will to follow God and whose fears debilitate them and cripple them so they can't do anything. By the way, and when God talks about all the people that are going to be judged in the world, you know, there's murderers, there's sorcerers, there's homosexuals, there's adulterers, and so forth. You know what heads the list? What's the first sin that heads the list that's going to get judgment? Cowards. Cowards are the first of the list, the God list, the people that are going to be judged. Uh, because a coward hurts people. Within a military unit, if a guy turns coward on it, he's probably going to kill other guys instead of helping to save other guys and help other guys, so he's probably going to be a hindrance and a harm. You know, if he all of a sudden, you know, fades away, one of these guys might try to save him and lose his life attempting to save the guy. And and, and with, in the military, it is a death knell to get the title that you're a coward. I mean, they, you know, they'll, they'll court-martial you, you know, for such, because it's so harmful. Well, can you imagine in the faith, can you imagine the great tribulation is getting ready to be started and somebody's been relying on you and counting on you as a fellow brother to be part of it and all of a sudden you turn coward? That's going to be bad. That's going to be really bad. We we have to train you and teach you now. Follow God's will. Let him be your strong force. Let him be your strength. Let him be your will to overcome your fears. The, uh, you just press forward. You keep going um, and in the face of all of those things. Now, what Moses continues to say here after, he, he's going to repeat this again. And in fact, in verse 7, he says, Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him, In the sight of all Israel, this is him, Moses talking to Joshua specifically. He said, Be strong and courageous. You know, God said, be strong and courageous there. But now Moses is saying to Joshua, be strong and courageous. We've got to have you, Joshua, to be strong and courageous if Israel's going to have a chance. You go down a little bit further, verse 8. He says to Joshua, and the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear. Be not dismayed. Joshua is out front. He represents Israel. he's, He's the front guy. Moses is saying, no, you're not the front guy. The Lord is the front guy. The Lord is out in front of you. And in fact, if you read the story there in the book of Joshua, when Joshua crossed over, one of the first things he did was he met this angel, this angel of the Lord who was before him. And it was obvious this was a very powerful uh, warrior-type angel encouraging Joshua. He saw that the Lord was before him, and so forth. We need to get to the point, I'm serious about this, in our personal faith, where we have the sense that God is out in front of me. He's not behind me. He's not off to the side. He's right out in front of me, and he's going to face first whatever I have to deal with. And where I go, I will be following him. He's not going to leave me behind. He's not going to forget me. He's going to keep going uh, for it. One of the greatest promises that God has made to us is to neither leave us nor forsake us, and it's probably one of the greatest measures is whether or not you believe him or not whether or not you believe in the Lord your God and what he has said, his promises that he made to us, that's the faith that is counted for righteousness if you believe the promises of God. We're getting ready to find out who has real faith. I think that's the reason why Yeshua said, when I return, will I find faith? I think he's also saying, when I return, will I find anybody that is strong and courageous? Will I find anybody that's believing me, trusting me? You know, that's the question. And because the Lord has posed that in that way, as we're anticipating the end of the ages and coming to where we're at, we got to ask the same question of ourselves. I wonder what we will do. I hope we're strong and courageous. I hope that we take the counsel of the Lord and that we go forward with that. So, with that in mind, let's look at our Haftorah portion because it is a specific portion called the Haftorah Shabbat Shuva. Shuva, as I mentioned to you last week, uh, is the port, it has to do with Teshuva, repentance, and Shuva is the keyword return. And in the previous Torah portions in the weeks past, where well, you heard uh, where God was talking about us returning, that we leave Egypt, we go to the promised land, we leave this world, and, and we leave Babylon, we leave trials and tribulations of Egypt, and we go toward the Lord. We go toward his kingdom, toward his promised land. That dynamic of turning away from those things and turning to the kingdom, that's what this whole return thing is all about. And we have this powerful teaching given to us in this week, in these days between um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, between trumpets and Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, the Lord, it, it, we have the symbol, the Lord judges the world. He decides who will live and who will die. We say these are the days of all the days of fear, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro over the earth to decide who shall live and who shall die. What is the measure of who lives? The one who has courage. The one who trusts what the Lord has said. The one who's surrendered his will to God and not following his own will or following after his own fears. So this is called um, um, Shuva uh, specifically. And where we're at is in Hosea chapter 14. Actually, there's um, two uh, portions that go with this Haftor portion. And depending on whether you're following the Sephardic tradition or the Ashkenazic tradition, Ashkenazic is the European tradition, Teshuvah is the North Africa or the Israeli uh, position, you have a different portion. They both have the same message, it's just different passages of the prophets that deal with it. And the uh, portion that is uh, for this Torah comes to us from Hosea. And it is Hosea uh, chapter 14, and it begins at uh, verse 2. Let me read to you uh, what it says here in Hosea 14, verse 2. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Again, there's that word return, shuvah. And say to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us to us graciously, that we may present the fruit of our lips, as Syria will not save us, we will not ride on horses, nor will we say, Our God, to the work of our hands, for in thee the orphans find mercy. In other words, the guy's acknowledging that other people are not gonna help. Horses aren't gonna help me. Only God is going to help me. We've finally come to the conclusion, only God is going to help me, so let's call him God, not something else, and let's agree with him and return to him. Well, that's what we're supposed to be doing in these days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. We're supposed to be repenting. We're supposed to be looking at our lives and considering all that goes on with us and saying, my solution to my life is not here. This, none of this is my God here. My, my truck, my car, my house, my money, none of it is going to save me. None of it is going to help me with my sins. The best thing I have to do is to get with God. I, so I need to take my sins, and I need to turn away from them. I need to return to the Lord. Shuva, I need to return to the Lord. One of the great cries is return, O Lord, to the myriads of Israel's families. The, receive us back uh, for that. So this portion starts off with that. And it talks about repentance. That's the big teaching that we do uh, these things uh, from it. But let me take you to the second passage that I like. That's from Joel uh, chapter 2 begins at verse 15 i'm sure you're familiar with this passage blow a trumpet in zion consecrate a fast proclaim a solemn assembly gather the people sanctify the congregation assemble the elders gather the children and the nursing infants let the bridegroom come out of her out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber let the priests the lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar and let them say Spare thy people, O Lord, and do not make thine inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should there be, um, why should they among the people say, "Where is their God"? It's a it's a thing about repentance. The reason why that particular passage is selected is because at Rosh Hashanah we blew the trumpet, and at Yom Kippur we're going to blow another trumpet blast. So these are the days of trumpet blasts. And so they selected this portion and said, blow a trumpet in Zion. And they talked about repentance, asking God for forgiveness, returning. Now, I'm not talking about, oh, we have that nice little prayer where we ask Jesus to come in our life. I'm talking about true repentance. I'm talking about your lifestyle and what you've been doing. Turn from it and start walking before the Lord. And how do you know that you've done it? I used to transgress the commandments of God. I'm now going to return and I'm going to keep the commandments of God. If you say, oh, I believe in God, but you don't return, you don't turn from that to keep the commandments, You didn't really repent, did you? Now, everybody knows for you to receive salvation by grace, you have to repent, right? But you know, we got a lot of people around here that thinks, oh, I just need to ask for him to come in my life. I don't need to do repentance. In fact, I can claim the grace of God and I don't have to obey the Lord at all. That's a unrepentant person. If you don't repent, you don't make it to the kingdom. And I am very fearful that we have a lot of people who are religious referring to God as their Lord, but they're lawless. And they won't turn away from transgressing the commandments. They won't repent. That would be sad. That would be very sad. Thus, we are in the holidays where this is the teaching. This time of the year, we teach the people, repent, return to the Lord. Good things are getting ready to happen. We're going to see the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah, the judging of the world. We're going to be in the kingdom with him, but we have to repent. We have to return to the Lord. We have to go to his kingdom. I've always said this. If you're not willing to leave Egypt, don't plan on making it to the promised land. And that's true of this world as well. If you're not willing to leave this world, don't plan on going to the kingdom. That's our Torah portion and our Haftorah portion for this week. Shabbat Shalom to all of you.
1: Shabbat Shalom. If you would, please turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, to chapter 13. Hold your finger at verse 5, where our Brit Hadashah portion for this week will begin. As you open the Scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Lord, once again to dig into your Word, into the New Testament, Father. And I pray that we would bring out the principles and the teachings that you would have us to learn for this week uh, as we study the Torah portion, the Torah cycle, the Haftorah, and the Brit Hadashah. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your covenant. Thank you for your word, your teaching, and your instruction. We worship you, bless you, praise you, and thank you for this time and for this Sabbath. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So our Torah portion this week is entitled Vayelech, which uh, comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 31, where it says, and Moses went to all of Israel. And this uh, portion begins first with the transferring the leadership of Israel to Joshua that the leadership of all of Israel, Moses is going to step down, he's going to pass away, he's going to be buried on a mountain in the wilderness, not entering into the promised land, and Joshua is going to take the reins, be blessed, been telling him to be strong, be courageous, for the Lord will not leave you nor forsake you, and you are going to lead all of Israel. There's always been a beautiful parallel to especially even just through the name Joshua, which means salvation, that it is basically the a different phonetic way to say Yeshua, and that the name Joshua becoming the leader of all of Israel, Yeshua being the son of God, being the king over all of Israel. There's always been this incredible um, messianic prophecy or parallel whenever we're talking about Joshua taking leadership over the tribe, uh, the tribes of Israel. So we could just stand here and we could just initially talk about how Yeshua is king over all of Israel, he's king over all of the earth, and that he truly is the king, and so any of the parallels of of Joshua taking leadership, we can draw those parallels. The thing that I want to uh, focus on here is the respect that we need to learn and that we need to have for those that are in leadership. That's one of the things that we all kind of struggle with the times we might find ourselves in some sort of um authority f- structure in which whether we're at a job or we're working and we have leaders that are put over us and ha- needing to have a respect for those leaders, um, learning to hold our tongue, not to curse those leaders in private, um, because then that can come back upon us in very poor ways. Um, those, uh, that passage, I believe, is in Ecclesiastes. And we do have a teaching specifically about that that comes to us from the book of Hebrews. Uh, beginning at verse 5, it says this, and this is how we'll connect it to the Torah portion uh, here for this first section. "'Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear.'" What can man do to me? This is something, a prayer that we all should have, we all should recognize. The Lord is the one who leads us, guides our steps, guides our path everywhere that we go, and He's our helper. Ultimately, if we put our fear in the Lord, we should have no fear in the other things that are around us, and that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And He says that specifically, um, that that He will will not, He will not forsake us. He might turn his face away from us for a period of time, but... Though his anger might be kindled against us, it'll only be a short time because ultimately what God is always trying to teach us in the course of our lives is that we need to make sure that we're always putting our faith in him. Sometimes God tests us. Sometimes God makes us go hungry. Sometimes God puts somebody in charge of us that makes it very difficult sometimes to uh, stay the course and to stay uh, faithful to the Lord. Once again, all these circumstances that happen in life, I talked about last week, a root of bitterness uh, springing up. They, <sighs> all of these situations can bring bitterness. You better believe that Moses felt bitter at times when he was leading the children of Israel and all the rebellions that they went through. And guess what? Joshua is going to need the same thing. It's not going to just be smooth sailing now that we enter into the promised land. We got all kinds of issues that are going to come up. You got guys that are, you give the command for them to destroy all of the sacred artifacts of the the people of Canaan, but then suddenly children of Israel decide to take some of those artifacts, and it brings a curse upon all of the camp of Israel because of those things, and sometimes challenges are still going to present themselves. God's not going to make the way uh, easy for us. He's not going going to remove all hurdles that are in our midst. What he's going to do is he's going to tell us and encourage us, be strong, be courageous. He'll give you the power and the strength to overcome the hurdles that are placed in your way. Not that God is just going to remove them, but you could come to a hurdle or a struggle or a, a, something in your life, and you're just like, oh, God's forsaken me. There's this barrier, this boundary, something that's blocking my way from doing what I think I need to do or accomplish. And it's all like, no, the Lord will give you strength. He's not. He's not going to leave you high and dry. He'll give you the strength to overcome the obstacle that's in front of you, and you will become a better person because of it. That's the reason why he does what he does sometimes in the course of him teaching you. But once again, we need to put, once again, our fear in the Lord, not in anything that man can do. Let me continue reading in Hebrews 13, at verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their con- conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried away about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have, been, uh, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them, We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffering outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city but we seek the one to come. Therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for for that would be unprofitable for you. So we have this instruction in this teaching. Now, this is talking about what those that This kind of connects back to what I said last week as well, where the Word of God is very near to us. We don't have to go to a certain place to come into covenant relationship with God. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that through our faith in the Messiah, we can go and we meet Him outside the camp, wherever we might be, wherever we might be scattered to. We can find the Messiah in that place. And though we don't have a temple, that we don't have an altar to bring offerings according to the law of Moses, what we can do is continually giving sacrifices of praise with the fruit of our lips, what we say. May we always be giving praise and worship God with that type of sacrifice. And don't forget to do good and to share, to give to those who are in need, because such is absolutely an appropriate sacrifice before the Lord to give to help those who are in need. These are things that we can do without any altar or temple necessary, so that we might have that relationship with God. Now, if there was a temple, if the uh, Jewish people were able to get a piece of the Temple Mount, we were able to worship the Lord in that way, that would be wonderful. That would be amazing. And we'd be able to follow those commandments and give peace offerings and give grain offerings to the Lord and worship Him in that way. That would be the way a, a, more of a way that we can continue to establish our covenant with Him. But in the absence of that, we are scattered into the nations, exiled. And sometimes there's Rulers that are above us and in certain places, and it's all like, we need to just do what we're able to do, what we're able to accomplish. Sacrifices of praise with our lips, giving to good, giving, good, uh, doing good, giving to those that need, and to have the respect for the rulers that are above us. We need to pray for those, pray for those that are in leadership. I guarantee you, Joshua in the children of Israel, over the tribes of Israel, I'm sure he coveted the prayers of the people. Whenever new leadership is is passed on to somebody new, somebody younger, you know, that person needs prayer. That person needs encouragement to pray for them because of the new position, the new role that they have. And it's all like, look, they're they're not going to be perfect. They'll make mistakes. But ultimately, they have to give an account as the leader of others. They give an account for who they watch over. There's passage after passage about uh, shepherds misleading the flock teachers who lead the people astray. And it's all like a a greater judgment comes upon those who are in leadership if they don't have the humility and the submission to God to do what they do, say what they say, and that ultimately they're responsible for the people who are under them. But if you find yourself in submission or having a ruler, a pastor, a leader who is over you, pray for them on the regular that they might be do, do righteousness, that they might uh, do good for those who are under them, because they will at some point have to give an account, not only for their soul, but the others that they led. So, we need to continue to build that relationship with one another. If you find yourself in a community like that, church, congregation, who has elders or pastors or whatever the circumstance is, we need to follow those, that that chain of authority, that chain of command, and we need to need to have that level of respect for the I mean Paul here, or not Paul, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews. Some people think it was Paul that was saying this, that is just trying to teach us this principle of having that level of respect for. Elders, teachers, leaders who are above us. Good counsel in all cases. You start with children who go to might go to school and have to respect their teachers or their elders, and we too continue to grow and live our life. And we all find ourselves in some sort of circumstance with that. Even if we might be the king or the leader of something, we're still submitted to the Lord. And see, this is the thing that we're to learn ultimately, because it has to do with our relationship with God, who is the king over all of the earth, who does rule over us, who does uh, reign uh, sovereign over the entire universe. Once again, if you're faithful with a little, you can prove you're faithful with much. If you can't show respect to a simple elder who's above you, whether it be an older person and a younger person, or whether it be a teacher in grade school, Or whether it be a pastor in a congregation, then how can you prove to your Heavenly Father that you'll have respect for His authority if you won't simply respect what ends up being a simpler chain of command than the way that it is that God reigns over all of the earth? So, good counsel in all cases. In our Torah portion, um, back in Deuteronomy chapter 31— There is, um, once again, another one of these uh, prophetic predictions of Israel's rebellion. That Israel will rebel, will break the commandments and the instructions. I want to go back to our Torah portion, and there's something that I want to read there that I think is a fascinating uh, thing that people say when they themselves have rebelled against God and they have made poor choices in the course of their life, and then suddenly they take a look around, and they wonder, where is God in all of this? Why, why, why do I not see that God is here when usually it's one, a certain person's mistakes that cause them to be separated from God? So going back to our Torah portion in Deuteronomy chapter 31, at verse 16 it said this, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you will rest with your fathers, and this people will rise and play the harlot with the gods of the foreigners of the land where they will go and be among them. And they will forsake me, And break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my anger shall be aroused against them in that day. And I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them. And they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall them. So that they will say in that day. Have not these evils come upon us? Because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day. Because of all the evil which they have done. And they have turned to other gods. This is where it's interesting that I already said earlier in this tour portion and it specifically you know it was told to Joshua at the beginning of Deuteronomy 31 uh, specifically at verse uh, 6 where it says he will not leave you nor forsake you. God is with you, be strong, be courageous. God will not leave you, God will not forsake you. Okay, sounds good. Then later on in the same chapter it says, no, the, the people are going to play the harlot. They are going to worship other gods, and I will forsake them. Now, here's the thing. Does God forsake his people, or will he never leave them nor forsake them? Which of those two statements are true? Because either he will forsake them at some point, or he will never leave them nor forsake them. I'll tell you what's very interesting is that God has the power and the ability to do both. And I'll tell you why. Because God can bring judgment upon a group of people and can render judgment upon a group of people, but though that people never feels the consequences of the judgment. And I'll tell you how. Because God himself stands in the place of that judgment. This is the story of all sin. This is the story, this is the gospel message of our Messiah. See, because Adam sinned back in the garden, brought sin and death into the world. And then the judgment of death is pronounced upon mankind. Mankind sins, and death is coming upon them. So God's judgment is rendered. But God is so powerful, he creates a covenant with man to where he himself is willing to take the punishment in place of man. So, the punishment is rendered, but a substitute receives the punishment instead. So, therefore, God's word is true. Punishment was rendered. At the same point in time, the people of God are spared from that judgment. So, if you follow... If you're following so far, the fact that the the God has sent his son to take our punishment for our sin, that we all deserve death because of it. So the payment's been paid, but we ourselves then receive the freedom to not have to feel that punishment, so much so he even gives us eternal life as a result of it. But judgment was rendered. That's how great God is. That's the wonderful thing that God has done. So, I I all this as an example when it comes to sin, because I think we can wrap our brain around it when it comes to the way our Messiah has paid the price and paid our debt and has taken our punishment instead of it coming upon us. But this is exactly what he has also done when it comes to God forsaking his people. Because like I said before, both statements are true. God will never leave you nor forsake you you will never have to bear the judgment and the punishment of being truly forsaken by God. But that didn't stop our ancestors and mankind to continue to follow after other gods by which God's judgment said, I will forsake you because you did this. Well, guess what? There is someone who did feel forsaken, who did take once again, that same punishment. So in, uh, Matthew, where he was hanging on the cross, our Messiah, and when he was being crucified, and I'm in Matthew chapter 27, at verse 45, it was the sixth hour of the day, and until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our Messiah hanging on the cross felt forsaken by God. The connection between him and God, even though he was God in the flesh, the connection between him and his heavenly Father was broken, if for a mere moment in time, so that he was felt and was forsaken by his God, by our God, the creator of heaven and earth. And that this is not only did he take this punishment for our sin when it comes to the, sin, the punishment of death because of all of our sins, he took this punishment as well, the feeling of being forsaken by God. Because God said he, that he would, but he stayed that judgment until our Messiah took it and received it on the cross. This is another one of these beautiful things in a way that it looked like two scriptures contradict each other, just like it did in Deuteronomy 31, Yet, both are true, but the way that it is executed is done in a way that only God can do it. Here's the other beautiful thing about our Messiah who has come. In our Torah portion, the people would ask when certain things happen, when, when, when certain uh, judgments befall them, when they feel alone, when they feel forsaken, they themselves will ask, is God with us? Is God even there? And I mean, how many people who have been in uh, dire straits, in situations in their life where you just, you feel forsaken by God, you feel like he's not there. Is God even with me? Is God even hearing my prayers? Even the most devout believers have had moments in time when they question that and question whether oh, the word is true. Is God's presence here? When, if I'm going to pray am I praying in vain all these times that I'm lifting my voice to God? Is He even there? Is He even with us? The beautiful thing that I want to connect to is the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, where it says one of the names of our Messiah was that he shall be called, verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1, the virgin is with child will bear a son. He shall be called by his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. See, that's, what, that's one of the reasons why the Messiah had to come. Think about this for a second. If anybody believes that Jesus Yeshua was not God, then if you believe that basically God has never made himself physically known to mankind to actually be here on earth with us, then how can we truly believe that he, that, that he, is, that, that he can connect with us, that we can be in covenant with him, that he's not just this all-powerful God that always remains separate from us, But the God that we serve desires to be very close to us, very near to us, in covenant with us, to dwell not only in our vicinity and area, but for him to be near us, with us, in our own hearts. That's the difference between the God we serve and every other God of any other pagan mythological culture that believes in other gods that are all-powerful and that mankind is just some plaything for them to manipulate however they choose. You know, If you do any study of mythology or whatever, that's what they believe about their gods. We are just meant to just be slaves to the gods and they can play with us and do whatever they want. That's what other cultures believe. But our God loves us, cares for us, is compassionate to us. We're not just supposed to become slaves and automatons for him to do with as he pleases. So much so that he loves, cares for, and is compassionate toward us and comes and dwells with us. That's why the Messiah was God in the flesh, because it sets the physical precedent for our Messiah to be physically present with us. That's just such an amazing connection that we have with our Father, and that He has come and He sent His Son to this earth to be with mankind. And even if He's not physically present with us again today in modern times, God has set the precedent that He will. God has set the precedent of what He is willing to do for His people, for His creation. Willing to die on the cross, willing to feel forsaken, willing to take the punishment. And that is a God worth following and worth serving. One that has that level of compassion. So even though circumstances in our life cause us to go, man, is God even here? That's why you can open up the scripture and say, God with us, this, that God is willing to be with us. And you don't even have to go to the New Testament. You can go to the Old Testament and look at all the, the, the building, of the tabernacle, and God's dwelling place in, with the children of Israel, and all of the things that he, that he the, sending a pillar of fire to be with them. God is willing to be with us through any circumstance that we might find ourselves in. Once again, we can't let those circumstances build bitterness in the course of our life. We need to look at every opportunity for God's mercy to be new every day, for His grace to abound, and for more forgiveness to be had with every day that we live. That's the blessing that we have, that God is with us. He's given us His Word. He's given us His covenant. And all we have to do is follow and obey what He has told us. I mean, we're coming to the end of the Torah cycle this year, and that's the final conclusion of all of it. We've been going over the the portions here. You know, choose this day. I lay before you the choice, blessing, curse, life or death. Choose. Choose what God you're going to follow. Choose what commandments you're going to keep so that you can be in that covenant and enter into covenant with him. In our Torah portion all of these rebellions were were predicted and were prophesied that the children would happen to the children of Israel and that God gave so many different means by which the people can come into faith and come into repentance things for them to remember whether it's the the on the the Uh, The tassels on their garments to remember the commandments of God, whether it's telling the stories of old, whether it's having the faith very near in your heart, whether it's having a book to be able to read the words, it, it doesn't matter what kind of person you are, whether you learn by hearing, by seeing, by reading, it doesn't matter what person you are, God has given us every opportunity to remember the words of his covenant In ancient times, there was a book that Moses wrote, and it had all the words of this commandment. And This book was to be kept there with the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, and that that book was to be read, understood by the Levites, and this is the commandments and the instructions. We have our Bibles that is the Word of God that is there to prove to us, if you learn by reading, then read this Word and then enter in by faith into covenant with God and that you can and have these things and have this relationship with the Lord. Now, when you read these words, sometimes they can be challenging. Sometimes they can be very challenging. When you start reading about, you know, if you do this, then you deserve death. And if you look at your life and then say, wow, I've committed those things, so... God, do I deserve death? Are you going to strike me dead? No, God has given us, the payment has been made by His Son. So the thing to do is is, is connect it all together, not to say that one replaces the other. Now, the Messiah is this perfect example of life to be lived, but that doesn't mean that He replaces the Word and the book and the commandments that He has given to us. We're going to go to a challenging passage of Scripture here. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 3 where many people have have read this and somehow think that this is some sort of like a replacement. God is superior to the law, the book that has been written, the book of the law, and that this book of the law is some terrible, horrible thing that, that, that we shouldn't have. Instead, we need Messiah instead. But the problem is, is it's the law and it's the book and the commandments that convicts us of wrongdoing, convicts our hearts of sin, and causes us to have faith in him who has paid the sacrifice. You can't get rid of the book. If you get rid of the book, you get rid of the law, then you have no reason for connecting with the Messiah. So, I'll just get that out of the way here in the first place. But let us go to this passage in Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5, where it says this, Therefore... He who supplies the Spirit to you, and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, "...in you all the nations shall be blessed." So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. This is the gospel according to Abraham. The gospel was preached to Abraham. Just by having faith is ultimately how we come into the path of righteousness and how we are saved because he has supplied the miracles and supplied the Spirit to us and that it's by the hearing of faith, not by the works of law and the things that we do. That's how we enter into faith, because Abraham received this same faith prior to the giving of law at Mount Sinai. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone, who does not continue in all things which are written in the book, in the book of the law to do them but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith and the, and, but the man who does them shall live by them. See, this is where the contrast is being here. Initially, it kind of looks like we're getting rid of the law. We're talking bad about the book of the law and all of these things. It brings a curse. Verse 13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So, when you look at this passage, initially you might see that, oh, we're we're freed from the curse of the law. That book is this terrible, horrible thing that brings a curse. Well, that's exactly what it was told to be back in in the Torah. This book is to stand as a witness and a proof to you that if you disobey, bad things will happen. That's exactly what it does. That doesn't mean the book itself is bad. That doesn't mean that it's all like, oh, well, get rid of the book. We don't want the book. The book brings a curtain. No, 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 no. This is simply God prophesying in his word what will happen, but that the Messiah is the fulfillment and the promise of what ultimately frees us from the curse that the book stands as a witness to. It uses the law itself to prove that the Messiah took the curse, where it says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That came from the Torah. That's an instruction from the commandments of the Torah that says that's, where, that, that's what a cursed person is. Well, the Messiah then hang, hung, on, hung on a tree so that he could take the curse of the law and it didn't have to befall us. So, this doesn't mean that we're trying to get rid of the book or of the law, but it means that we need to, that you live by these words. That was the other thing that was very uh, distinct there, where the just shall live by faith, yet the law is not of faith that the man who does them shall live by them. You need both. That's the whole point is that you need to live by the words. When God gave us these words and these instructions, it's that we should live by them, but also that if you disobey that word, you will then also die by them. However, that we can live by faith, that ultimately it's faith just like Abraham received in the absence of the law, That he then can receive the covenant relationship with God and that he could live by faith. We all come into the relationship with God by faith. And you know what? It's not the faith in the words. It may sound a little controversial, but it's not your faith in the words that are in the book because there's multiple translations, there's multiple things, and it's like, but it's not about the words. It's the faith in the author who wrote them. It's the faith in where the words came from. That's ultimately what it is. This is a physical example of God's Spirit written down for us to read. And it's not that I have faith in the binding, or the paper, or the exact words, or my New King James translation, or all the notes that I've written in the spine of the book. No, my faith is grounded firmly in Him who gave the word, in the author of the words. Just like the children of Israel, while they were in Egypt, they paint the blood of the the lamb on the doorposts and the lintel of the house. Was there faith in the blood to save them? Or were they saved by the person, by the being that instructed them to put the blood on the door? We are saved by faith alone. Now, that's what some people might think that, oh, that, then that contradicts what you do, the, the commandments of God. Then you have these works that you need to do, and it's all like you're saved by works or you're saved by faith. Nope, you're saved by faith, so then let's get rid of the works. That's not how it works, that's not, it's, it's not the order of things, how God instructed us to be. Our faith is in him and him alone who gave the word and gave the instruction. So we do these things so that we might live by them, but we're ultimately saved by the being, by the God, by the spirit of God that inspired the words. Now, I'm sure that everything that I just said probably is confusing to some. And I think that I might have just kind of spun this around. And I hope that to, to try and wrap it all back around to where it comes to God is with us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. And that our faith in him and him alone is what will save us, no matter what we have at our disposal. As I said, whether you have a Bible in your hand or not or whether you have a, a pastor or not, or whether it's just you alone on a desert island, in all cases, you can be saved. And God is with you, and he's very near to you in that circumstance and in that situation. And salvation can be had no matter what station of life you're in no matter what your heritage or upbringing is no matter where you are your faith you are saved by your faith in him and him alone and not by any action or tool that is at your disposal you do the actions you follow the commandments of god because you have the faith in him because you love him you want to obey him parents to your children you tell your children it's all like you you, you love your children And you question whether they love you if they don't obey your voice. And it's all like, look, that doesn't make them not your child. and doesn't make you not the parent of that child. But if they obey you, well, then a blessing is had and everything's wonderful. And that's how you show that you love him. When it comes to God, we obey his commandments and his instructions to show that we love him. And oh, by the way, it's good instruction. These words, you shall live by them. Now. Are we saved? Is he our Heavenly Father? Yep. Are we saved because of Him sending the Messiah to take the sacri- to take our sins upon him, bearing our burdens and paying the pain, the, the sacrifice and the, the debt that we owe because of our sin? Yeah, we're saved because of that. But ultimately, it is our faith in him alone that brings that salvation. But we got to put it all together. We got to put both together. The works of the law. So that we can prove that we're in covenant with Him, obeying the law of the covenant, but then ultimately living by faith that our Messiah will save us, and that through Him and confession in Him, proclaiming Christ and Him crucified, that we might have eternal life. It's about just putting it all together. Just putting it all together. May your may the word your faith without works is dead. So just put the two together. Cause your faith to lead the actions that you take. And ultimately, then we can prove we can walk in spirit and in truth. We can not only spiritually, but physically as well, that we are his people and he is our God. That's ultimately how we all need to live. And we need to continue to study his word, remembering the covenant that he made with our forefathers, with ancient Israel, and remembering our Messiah, who has been sent and given to us and has given eternal life to us through his sacrifice. I pray that this is encouraging uh, to you on this week. And I pray you have a wonderful Sabbath. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for this opportunity to share. Father, I pray that you would just encourage us and strengthen us, Lord, in our faith, in all the things that we do, and all the actions that we take. Father, I pray that we would cause your word, we would not contradict your word that we would not try to pit one scripture against another, but Father, I pray that we would just have the faith like our father Abraham, and that it's our faith in you and you alone that brings us salvation, and that you have a plan and a purpose to bless all the families of the earth. Father, I pray that you encourage would encourage each and every one of us, wherever we might be, whatever station of life we're in, for your word is very near to us, it's very close to us, Father, and I pray that you would just um minister to us wherever we might be. You will never leave us nor forsake us, Father. Your presence is with us always, and we love you, thank you, and praise you for it. We thank you in your Son, Yeshua. We pray, Amen. Shabbat Shalom.
3: Shalom. <laughs> mi
0: gune
3: lkha yisa
1: May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, Shalom.